Well, good morning. I am so glad that you're able to join us today. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the elders and the lead pastor here at Covenant Life Church. And uh, I'm glad that you can join us by live stream or on our website, and that we can be together to lift up the name of the Lord. I'd like to first remind us this morning of a promise that is found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I feel like we need to hear that promise, that verse this morning, because as we're learning, rolling the calendar over into a brand new year is not going to solve our problems or stop the chaos. We continue to experience in our country and in the church the scenario spelled out in Hebrews chapter 12. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. If you listen to me at all, you know that my earnest desire is that we as a church family will maintain a spirit of unity, especially in light of the recent election. I certainly understand, as I've mentioned before, why many viewed our current president as the best alternative last November. But I also understand why others thought the damage he was doing was more severe than any victories won for traditional values. I deeply respect people on both sides of this issue, at least those who are not making it the primary issue. But I continue to believe that there must be something greater that holds us together. I am here to earnestly appeal to you as the pastor of our church, to those that see themselves as a part of this spiritual family, that each of us must first seek his kingdom, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, which is not of this world, and that we as a spiritual family must maintain a spirit of unity within our church, loving our neighbors and our enemies, and living in such a way as to show the world that we are his disciples, not by our stance or by our fights, but by our love for one another. Might I humbly suggest that we in these days turn off the news, step away from our computers, put down our phones, and open up our Bibles and enter our prayer closets. I hope we will see that loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is far more important than any political views or even the fate of this nation. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, so we must not wage war against people. And if your political candidate won, you can't afford to become smug or cancel people you don't agree with. And if your candidate lost, it's not the end of the world, for God is still in his throne, and he still has gospel work for us to do. Now, having said all of that, and believe it or not, that's really not what I'm speaking about today. 
I just didn't feel like that I could go through this week and not address what I believe God has been saying to my own heart. I'm sure there will be application to our circumstances in the nation today in what I'm sharing, but I trust that we will get beyond that and see what God's word has to speak to us. We are in the midst of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And during this first week, we started on Wednesday night, really beginning Thursday as a focus. During this first week, we've been focusing on our unchanging need to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. And I have found myself praying fervently, uh, very similar, similar to, I have, uh, to what I've prayed in the years past. I've been praying that the Lord's presence would increase among us, that, that we would more fully experience the manifest presence of God. And by the way, experiencing God's presence is not done on our own merit, for we are not entitled to it. It is only by his grace that we get to experience it. It is by God's invitation that we are made to enter into his presence, that he makes a way where there was no way before. I've always been fascinated with the back and forth conversation between God and Moses, probably because our friend Curtis Foreman loves this story and he tells it so well. But this conversation between God and Moses about the presence of God, and specifically if God's presence would go with Israel even after they had devolved into worshiping a golden calf. It is not one of the highest points for the children of Israel. In fact, it may be the lowest point. Here, this group of people has been delivered out of Egypt. They've been rescued from Pharaoh. They've walked through a parted Red Sea They've received bread down from heaven and water from a rock, and now they've arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai to meet with their God. And so Moses goes up the mountain to advocate on their behalf for these newly freed slaves who just days earlier declared, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But now... They've grown restless and bored, corrupting themselves with idolatry and false worship. Now, here's something a little bit shocking. The totality of all of these experiences from departing from Egypt to arriving at Mount Sinai hadn't taken years or decades to complete. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. That happened after their moment at Mount Sinai. What had taken all of this time to leave Egypt and go through the Red Sea and see God's provision and his deliverance was only about 60 or 70 days. We're talking weeks, less than three months. And now an additional 40 days of Moses being up on the mountain, this people has spiraled completely out of control. They bullied Aaron into making an idol They've cast off all restraint and bestowed credit upon a graven image for their freedom and allegiance to it for their future. Saying about this golden calf, this is our God who brought us up out of Egypt. How quickly they have forgotten. 
It was a dark day for God's people. And it's not the only time this sort of thing has happened. Even more alarming than all of this is our tendency to do the same thing. It's not exclusive to them. We are all prone to wonder. We have all at times seen our love for him erode and almost fade into non-existence. We have chosen to get our needs met elsewhere. We have carved an image and plated it with our treasure. We have forsook the one who brought us out of slavery. And we oftentimes have crafted a false God that we then shower with our best attention, our energy, our resources, and our worship. Idolatry may not be as evident in our day. We're more sophisticated since we don't see carven images laid in gold placed around the house. But there are idols, many idols, and they are in people's hearts for We know that people's hearts are wretched, full of idolatrous schemes, and that's where you'll find most of the idols of today. It's as God said through his prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What does an idol look like today? Well, John Piper helps by saying an idol is the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. An idol could be anything, good, bad, or indifferent. It has to do with our allegiance to it. It could be another person. It could be a relationship. It could even be something good like your family. It could be good grades or the approval of others. It could be success in your career or at your job, or it could be unyielding pride. It could be an ideology. It could be intellectualism. It could be sexual stimulation or pornography or a substance for self-medicating ourselves. It could be self-preservation or a hobby or entertainment or your favorite football team or your own reputation. An idol is anything that we love, want, desire, treasure, and enjoy more than God. Now, here's the challenge that I think we have. When we hear about this people worshiping an idol, we are typically prone to say, yes, look what they did. We're typically prone to see how others have idols, but our eyes are blinded to our own. As we think about these things, can I encourage us to stop pointing the finger at other people's idols and start letting God examine our heart? As the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any offensive, idolatrous thing in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Moses turns to Aaron in this episode for explanation. And like so many pitiful leaders throughout history, Aaron just shifts the blame onto the people. It's their fault. I didn't have a choice. I'm appalled at what they made me do. All they did just appalls me. They, they threw their jewelry at me. And so I just threw it into a fire and poof, out came the calf. 
Seriously. That's what he said. Exodus 32:23 says, They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, like they didn't know him. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold, Aaron said, and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf as if it was some sort of miracle. In direct contrast to Aaron, Moses shows us what true leadership is. He shows us what real priestly intercession can be. In verse 30, he said, or it says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, Moses continues, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses offers himself as a sacrifice for the people's sin. Even if it means that he himself must be blotted out of God's book of life. And unlike Aaron, Moses takes full responsibility for what has happened even though he had nothing to do with it. This is why Moses is such a central figure in the gospel story. He's a type of Christ pointing the way to Jesus, willing to atone for the sins of the people, pointing us to our Messiah, who will ultimately lay down his life that you and I might be saved. Now, it, it makes me wonder in looking at these two central figures, if we as God's people are more like Aaron, functioning as ineffectual priests, enabling idolatry, and then shifting blame to others, or if we are more like Moses, who stood in the gap, interceding for others that they might know the truth and experience God's presence. I want us to be known as people like Moses, not people like Aaron, who point the finger and shift the blame and don't do enough in the first place. I want to be like Moses. So finally, all of this leads to the conversation I was speaking about earlier between Moses and God. And it all kind of comes to a head. It, it seems that God was still willing for Moses to lead the people, but he tells Moses that God's presence will not go with them. He will, he'll send an angel to be with them, but he himself will not go. But Moses just can't let it alone. He knows just how central God's presence is. He really presses the point, and it's almost as if God wants him to. And, and here's what Moses says to God, Exodus 33:15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people 
from all the other people on the face of the earth. Listen, the presence of God is what distinguishes us. Nothing else does. Not our posture, not our stance, not our politics, not our effectiveness anywhere else. It's God's presence that will distinguish us. Look what God said back to Moses in verse 17. And the Lord said to him, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. What an encounter. I hold my breath every time I read it. I I feel the suspense. God telling Moses, they're your people, not mine. (laughs) And then Moses reminding God, no, in fact, Lord, they are your people. And he gently appeals to the Lord that if he is pleased at all with Moses, that it's God's presence with the people that will prove it. It makes me shudder. I'm fascinated by this exchange. When I say that during our fast, my prayer has been that his presence might increase among us. It's this Mount Sinai moment that makes me utter those words with holy fear. It is a serious thing to be in the presence of a holy God. Our God is a consuming fire. And as evidenced, and you can read it in Exodus 19 through 31, by this whole exchange between Moses and God on behalf of the people, his intercession and making atonement and all the rest of it, you begin to recognize, as Brother Charles once said, God is serious. And we should take his presence more serious. I'm praying for us. I'm praying that God's manifest presence would be more evident in our lives. Because like Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, our going out will not succeed. His presence is everything. So I'm praying for his presence to invade our lives our space, our routines, our plans, our families, relationships, our marriages, our children, our youth. I'm praying that God's presence would be first and foremost, preeminent in our lives. That when we gather in our small groups or when we're able to gather again on Sunday mornings or around our tables, as we worship around his table, that his presence will distinguish us. And I'm praying that God's presence will be our chief priority in these days. Not something we attempt to add on to our lives as a validation, but the very basis for everything we do in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, workplace, public square, city, nation, world. May we be known May we be distinguished as a people for God's own presence. Amen. I'm going to ask my wife to come, and uh, it's good to have her back here in the land of the living. And uh, ask her just to share what's on her heart as kind of been our tradition and, uh, and then in a few moments, we're going to invite uh, Roger Hyatt and Jamie Johnson, two of our elders, to, to come and focus us during this time of prayer and fasting. There's a 
there are two quotes I just wanted to share. One is by Corey Ten Boom, and it says, every experience God gives us is the perfect preparation for the future that only he sees. And I think that that is so important to remember in the midst of chaos, either the chaos of our own lives or the turmoil in our nation Mm. or um, Mm. potential divisions in the church based on preferences or point of views. But what we are experiencing right now is the perfect preparation for what God is calling us to. Mm, Um, And to remember that he's at work. And then the second quote I wanted to share um, is a quote by Charles Swindoll. Uh, And I just lost it. It's okay. Sorry about that. It says, in place of our um, exhaustion and spiritual fatigue, and I think you can add in there, in place of our distress, in place of our confusion, in place of our weariness, God will give us rest. All he asks is that we come to him, that we spend a while thinking about him, meditating on him, talking to him, listening in silence. This is the phrase I love, occupying ourselves with him, totally and thoroughly lost in the hiding place of his presence. And I think that is how our current set of experiences prepares us. It isn't the act of those experiences. It isn't just surviving 2020. Um, It is occupying ourselves with him, becoming lost in the totality of his presence. In that place, we have what we need. In that place, we have something to give. In that place, we can ensure that our hearts are in line with his so that we, like Moses, can be good intercessors yes. for our community, for our neighbors, for our enemies. Yes. Um, so I want to pray uh, with us about that. That's good. Pray with us. Father, we do want to be totally consumed with your presence so that the things of earth, fleshly things, things that absorb and distract us, fall away. Mm -hmm. And we can be occupied with you Mm. so that your will is being done in our hearts and in our lives, so that we are aligned with your motives and your preferences and your will. in a day-to-day way. Um, Don't let us lose sight of the eternal in the middle of what feels urgent, Mm. but continue to clarify our vision as we focus on you, as we fix our eyes on you, as we set our hearts on things above. Lord, become our greatest reality Mm -hmm. so that your life can be real life in us. And it can be attractive to people who are lost and hurting and discouraged and disappointed. Let us bring the good news of the gospel, Lord, first in our own hearts and then in the lives of those we touch. Yes, Lord. Lord, forgive us 
for building idols for ourselves, for giving our allegiance, our devotion, our time, energy, resources, mm -hmm. our worship to something other than the one true God. Yes, Lord. You are our source of all life. You have given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Mm -hmm. And yet our tendency is to wander off from that. Help us to return to you, O oh God. Help us to seek your face while you may be found. Help us yes. not to point the finger at idols of another, but help us to allow you to examine our hearts and tear down the idols in our own lives. I pray that we as a community and your people around the world will be known and distinguished not by the fight that may be in them, but by your presence yes, amongst Lord. us. Yes, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.